0: Welcome to the Extraordinary Me Podcast, where ordinary people choose the extraordinary. Hosted by Coach Adam. Well, welcome to the Extraordinary Me Program Podcast. Sarah Lynn, I am so excited to have you on. You know, I got to tell you, obviously, I've been following you for a while and, and, and on your social media and a lot of the great things you're doing. You've got a smile that is contagious and lights up a room. Thank you, Adam. (laughs) You're making me smile right now. I've had the honor and pleasure of speaking with you individually. And obviously, I follow all of your social media handles and a lot of the things you do. You know, you have such an inspiration about you and it's so contagious. And I'm so excited to have you on this uh, podcast because, you know, I want the world to really learn about Sarah Lynn here. So, you know, take some time now, just go through some of the things that inspired you. And, and, uh, you know, I want to talk quite a bit about you on this podcast and your, your background. All right. Well, thank you so
1: much, Adam, for having me on. I feel very honored and excited uh, to chat with you and uh, inspired by you and the things that you're doing and the message that you're bringing out and really thrilled to be a part of it. So thank you so much for thinking of me in that way. So I guess we could just start like my story of... Sarah Lynn, the walking quad starts. Well, in high school, I had an accident my junior year when I was rock climbing, and the rock climbing accident caused a spinal cord injury that left me paralyzed from the chest down. So, that would be a big deal for anyone, right? Like going through a life altering accident and becoming disabled at any age, is pretty significant in someone's life. The event was a repelling activity uh, out by Lake Mead. Uh, It was a nice, beautiful September day, and it was uh, a situation that I had been advised by my parents and, of course, the other adults who were with us to stay near the group and follow directions pretty much. And I I went off on my own and decided not to do exactly what they had recommended. And that's how I got into that rock climbing situation. And when I fell.
0: So something pulled you to an opportunity, you went to the repelling rock climbing area, and then you fell. And that's when you broke your neck. It was a while before you were discovered, correct? Well,
1: it's hard for me to know exactly because I was not with anyone. I had kind of wandered off by myself and left the group. I wasn't too far away, but far enough away that nobody could see me visibly and they had to go looking for me. So one of my best friends found me and alerted everyone and they took action immediately and, and had a fantastic rescue team there right away. And everybody did the right thing at the right time. You know, and I had this flawless rescue, and I'm so grateful for the people who were there at the time and just how everything went as perfect as
0: a uh, emergency could go, I guess. Tell us about how the diagnosis went and what they told you when you know they finally were able to kind of bring you and the family together.
1: I had been flight for life helicopter taken to umc hospital where they did a, like emergency surgery on my neck and they did it as a surgery in the front of my neck and in the back where they f- removed the six vertebrae in my neck and fused the fifth vertebrae to the seventh uh, with cables and screws and a wire cage Um, Instead of doing something such as a halo, which was not um, necessary, I was able to have a a surgery in my neck to secure it that way. But then I had to go through the whole recovery and uh, rehab, and my spinal cord had been damaged. It was not severed, but it was damaged enough that it had paralyzed me. Any recovery was uh, pretty minimal. They didn't say it was um, absolutely impossible, but they said it was highly unlikely just because they didn't know one way or another the spinal cord hadn't been severed.
0: And this had to be, you know, extremely devastating news. In high school, you were a scholar athlete, participated in cross-country soccer, swimming in the band. You were in color guard, high GPA and accelerated classes in a club swim team. I believe you had just before that competed in a triathlon. So here you are, a great model student with a tremendous uh, athletic career going, and then this happens, what I call critical point. a, A situation we're forced into by our own decisions and behaviors or a situation that's out of our control, forced into by others' decisions and behaviors, and you have a decision to make. So talk about how you formulated kind of like a belief system at this point that you were going to walk again and that you were going to get through this.
1: I really like how you called that a critical point. I think that's so significant in these type of life situations. Um, And it's exactly, it's exactly that. You have a chance to take a situation that was either your choice, like, like mine, that was a consequence of my choices, right? Or, you know, I met a lot of people in therapy throughout the years who got in some type of accident, such as a car accident that was not their, you know, doing, but still they suffer the consequences, right, of the accident. So you have the opportunity, I, and I think almost that helped me knowing that it was a direct consequence of my own choice to kind of like take ownership of that. Like there was nobody else to blame for for my choice and where I was. And I just, I think that was a really good learning lesson at a pretty young age of accepting responsibility and realizing that it wasn't something that needed to be viewed as bad or negative or sad. Yes, there is a grieving process that goes along with a loss of something that you once had and no longer have. And through the grieving process, you go through a plethora of emotions, anger, happiness, sadness, relief, guilt. There's so much that goes on. And I definitely went through all of those emotions, but ultimately just came to the acceptance. It was what it was. And there was no going back in time and like changing anything. So we might as well just take it, and, and go with it. And I remember thinking before I got back any movement, um, in my lower extremities, I had just been able to start pushing myself in a wheelchair. So I still did not have hand dexterity and movement, but I had enough tricep and bicep arm movement to push a wheelchair. I was thrilled. I, I was so excited to have that first of all, (laughs) because I had gone from absolutely nothing. Like I couldn't even feed myself to being able to then be a little bit independent. Again, I could push myself around. I didn't need to have somebody else to help me. I could push myself. And that was huge. It was so exciting. And at that moment, I remember thinking, you know what, if this is all I get back, that's fine. I'm going to take everything I have and I'm going to do whatever I can with it. And I know that people do wheelchair marathons and play wheelchair basketball. And I'm going to do that. If that's, if this is what I have, I was just like under this mindset of, well, I'm going to make it as great as it can be. And why can't I have a great and fulfilling life from a wheelchair? Of course I can. (laughs) That wasn't my experience. It was my experience for a short time, but I have had a very unique healing journey and made very in the spinal cord injury world, pretty quick um, progress as far as recovery goes and even very unexpected
0: in some way. You and I have talked individually many times about how, you know, we as human beings, were deciding beings. I mean, we can make a decision and a choice about how we're going to react to anything that happens to us, whether it be our choice or not. And what you said there, Sarah, is is so beneficial for a lot of student athletes that I work with and, and we talk to, you know, that you take responsibility for anything that you know you are in control of. So you in this case, you were in control of how you viewed it and how you were going to work on your rehab. Talk about how that led into when you were 19, you had another tragedy happen in your life and how you brought that similar rehab and your attitude towards that event.
1: Yeah, I I had the accident at 16 and I spent a good 2-3 years really focused on my recovery. We're talking days and countless hours in all types of therapy. And therapy ranged from like physical and occupational therapy to massage and aqua stretch and Chiropractic and osteo manipulation and structural integration—so many things having to do with the body and putting the body back in alignment, just over and over. I I often would joke with friends that I'm like Humpty Dumpty, and like I had a great fall and I'm constantly needing to be put back together. And so, I mean, therapy for me is relatable to anyone and important to maintain your, your health and wellness, whether that's in a physical way or in a men- mental and emotional, spiritual way. So for me, that physical therapy that actually needing so much attention to put on my, my physical body helped me to realize the importance of the balance between all of those aspects, which leads into the emotional health and wellness. So when I was 19, I got married <sighs> really young. <laughs> we we were both very young and we we didn't date for a very long time. So that I'm sure played into the whole experience that we had. Needless to say we are not together. I've gone through a divorce. We were married for 11 years and during that time we had four children together. He also served in the navy. For about four years, I have to say, I think that was probably some of my favorite times, favorite years during our marriage. I just liked the fact that we were living in a different place than we both grew up. For me, it was the first time I got to move away from home, um, like outside of the state I grew up in. And so that that was a really cool and exciting experience for me because I enjoy traveling and getting to see more of the world. So I really enjoyed a lot of the aspects about being a military spouse. There are definitely some things that are extremely difficult being married to the military, really. The, the military ended, it was only a, about a four-year period, and he decided to get out. And then he and I really tried to work on our marriage in that situation. And we were feeling a sense of obligation to make it work. And there was a lot of aspects that go into why in particular, my relationship didn't work out with him. And, you know, I'll take ownership of my part, you know, half of it. (laughs) It's like, I'm sure there's lots of things that I could have done better or differently that now i i've i've learned from ultimately it was not it didn't feel healthy to me on an emotional level felt like i had the opportunity during those years to learn how to create healthy personal boundaries especially on an emotional level when you're dealing with somebody who's emotionally challenging i don't know how you know to to put it but my experience was Difficult in a lot of ways. I had not prepared myself to be independent. And through that process, I I was very dependent on him for everything in the physical and monetary sense. Because we came into an agreement of each of us would have certain roles and duties. And through the years... Life happens and you just, some things change and you don't always continue down a certain path that you agreed that you were going to do, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago. Does that make sense?
0: It, it absolutely makes sense. And, and I and I think, you know, based on our conversations too, there, there's an old saying, you can't pick up one end of the stick without the other end already being there. So I think in in any relationship, and a relationship can be how you're friends with somebody or you relate to anybody you're going to get multiple sides of a person, right? It's how we connect with, handle, work with that other side that we, you know, sometimes comes out and and, and rears its ugly head. You know, I think one of the things too that you and I talked about in your decision-making when you got married really young is that you lost your father at a young age too. Yeah, that I
1: know played a big part into looking back, having time to reflect on things. Yeah, I, I did lose my dad um, when I was, was 19. I then shortly after, only about a month after he passed, met my ex-husband. I felt like that was me trying to fill a void and not understanding how to cope or the grief process and dealing with things in a healthy way because the way I was going about doing it was very acceptable by the community and religion I grew up in. But looking back with all the life experience and years that I've had, uh, we're going on close to 20 years ago at this point, you know, looking back on it, I could see how there were some major red flags that should have been alerted by somebody <laughs> uh, to kind of guide me like, Hey, no, maybe not rush into a marriage, but maybe, you know, cope with this loss in a different and healthier way. Uh, but looking back, I definitely see the correlation
0: there of why I did rush into a very young marriage. We're all raised in different ways. You know, obviously culture, background, uh, nationality, conditioning, it, do, it doesn't matter. We're all raised with certain beliefs from parents, teachers, coaches, no matter who it is. From the injury to the loss of, of, of a dear loved one like your father, did you feel like you had set up some dependency feelings and emotions that set you up for, obviously, your decision-making or in the future, one being marriage and some other decisions maybe after that?
1: Absolutely. I know now that I definitely put more trust in other people than I did my own intuition or even spirit, my own spiritual guidance, however you want to word it. I absolutely did that. And it's like such a strong feeling now that it's almost disturbing (laughs) when I think back on it. And I, I don't mean that in a harsh or mean way, you know, because a lot of the people I did put my trust in people that I do admire and love. However, I can remember feeling, you know, you'll say in your heart or in your gut. I remember feeling, no, that was not, not that it wasn't right because I don't feel like, I don't regret anything. I've got four beautiful children, but I do remember thinking like, Maybe I shouldn't do this, <laughs> but maybe it was the path that needed to happen to get my children. You know, like there's all sorts of unknowns. Um, I do not regret anything, but I do recognize, I would call them spiritual promptings, but that's just my perspective on those type of things. But you could call them inner guidance. There's lots of things that different people relate that feeling to, or different words, I guess.
0: Well, I call it spiritual. The- point again. That's that's what I've used as my word over and over. And I think what you're talking about in this conflict that you are having is, is that you came to a critical point in your life after um, you know having kids, being married, uh, your accident, loss of your father, everything that was going on. You came to a critical point knowing that obviously you had probably followed the path of dependency, but inside your soul, your spirit... Everything that you were about was yearning to say, you can be interdependent. You know, there's a difference between independent and interdependent is interdependent is I can live and work with or without you. And, you know, we're independent as I'm all on my own. You started to have this pull, like this inner pull to say, Sarah, you have this mission that you came here for and you have this pull to be interdependent. So talk about how you went through that critical point to kind of just say, okay, I can still love my kids with my husband with or you know together or not and at the same time I can uh, begin my mission of who I am and why I'm here
1: really well said that I have thought about that a lot throughout the years because I had to go through a lot of personal acceptance of my choices and I had a lot of guilt and shame even though I had like technically didn't quote unquote do anything wrong besides leave a marriage where I was not happy, and the easiest way to sum it up and take full responsibility for for my actions is just to say I was not happy with how the relationship was, and I didn't feel supported from him to do the things that. I felt I needed to do for my own well-being and happiness. I had to make the choice to stay or leave. And I was, like we already said, very dependent. That was at the time the path of least resistance. And it was doing, quote unquote, the right thing per my family and community standards. (laughs) And trying to be everything for everyone else and not taking the time to really know yourself and have um, care, have self care. That was majorly neglected. And I think that is unfortunately a pretty standard, especially moms of young families would say. And that I would love to see change. I don't think there needs to be quite such a struggle. There are always options and resources, like you and I have talked about many times. And that's probably a whole other topic that we could get on with. But uh that was where I was in my life, just really burnt out, really overwhelmed, really overworked, really exhausted, not having the things that I just needed to be
0: healthy and well
1: with somebody who wasn't on the same page as me.
0: I mean, if you if you don't have the right pieces of the puzzle together and if you just have a a resistant teammate to progressing in the same direction, you're going to have conflict, uh, no matter what you look at. And you bring up something very important here is you you talk about self-care. So you go from here, you make this critical decision after going through the critical point, you you go on the caterpillar, you leave the butterfly, you go with your decision of, I need to become interdependent, still raise our kids together, but I need to work on me because I have this pull to be a mentor, a coach. You you get your degree in psychology, you want to help others, but you have to help yourself first. So talk about how self-care led to you getting your degree and beginning your mission on helping other people.
1: That's why people get burnt out. Because if it doesn't start there, they come in with being depleted. They're already empty because giving to some people feels awesome. They love it. They that's in their nature, that's their love language, that's their helpers, their servers. They want to give and heal. Sense you're in probably high school at some point and you're starting to talk about after high school and colleges and careers. At that point, started thinking about it and I always had a background in early childhood simply because my mother owned and operated a nationally accredited preschool and home daycare in our home. So as long as I can remember, I've always been exposed to early childhood so I've I've had just amazing opportunities and then in high school I decided oh I think I would like to be a counselor or a therapist and psychology really interested me I got really interested from pretty young age I would say 15 16 and I was always very drawn to um special needs. And then after going through uh, an accident that, you know, disables you, you have to relearn how to do everything. And your whole, your whole existence revolves around self-care. Like you can't function unless you do your self-care. So that had to become like number one priority in my life at 16, just being kind of forced into that position um, gave me the opportunity to develop habits of good self care practices. Therapy turned into working out and going to the gym, and learning how to pray as a religious upbringing taught me how to develop that skill into other types of spiritual practices, such as meditation. So, like, all these. Things that I had gone through brought me self care practices. The message I think you and I are trying to relay here is that it's so important to have that interdependence and then come into a relationship with somebody or develop that with somebody um, where you can be independent and be together because you want to. And being together actually builds you in a more positive way and they bring out something in you or they bring out that positive aspect in you that's already there but they're like a mirror in a positive way
0: this also led into when you talked about self-care and then going following that pull you know this led to uh, other things for you 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 know you reconnected with your what i call your extraordinary self your, your your soul Um, And then you also started to realize that, you know, people needed mobiles to take them around, right? So you created a product that you uh, have developed and and selling now that helps people who are injured, that helps them uh, be mobile, correct?
1: That's very exciting. Um, That's a very new development. My need and my brother, he and I have developed and created this idea together. Um, It directly was manifested or created out of a need that we both had for better mobility. I walk with a cane and I can walk around, but it's very slow and it's very labored. I realized that if I wasn't exerting so much of my energy and effort just walking from One point to another, and I could use that energy like an athlete would for their practice and their workout, and I could conserve that energy throughout the day and use it for my therapy or my workout. I was getting better results um, physically because I wasn't damaging what was already being overworked just by walking in an incorrect way because of my gait pattern. I mean, due to that and due to so many other healing modalities, let's call it. I've I've continued to have really remarkable recovery from a spinal cord injury as an incomplete quadriplegic 20 years later. I'm still getting better. If if there are other people out there I want to meet them cuz <laughs> like it's so rare. And and I don't say that in any type of arrogance. It's just so rare. And I think there's a lot of contributing factors coming really in tune and aware of yourself and your needs and being your own advocate, being your best and biggest cheerleader and making sure that you are speaking up for yourself. It's really the most important thing I've seen in lots of um, unhealthy relationships is people don't speak up for their needs for whatever reasons and they become unhappy when a lot of it could be probably easily communicated if anything I that's one thing I would love to just leave as a message
0: well and I think that aligns with what you're saying about self-care is when you like yourself you're the same way with yourself and when you are working with yourself internally that brings out the extraordinary that you really are so that you can be in an extraordinary relationship with others. And relationships in general. Now, I know you are working also, Sarah, on a book, and I would like you to take this opportunity to talk about the book and then you know what you plan to uh, create in, in, in the coming days, months, and years with your coaching and mentoring program.
1: All right. This is so exciting to me. I get just thrilled thinking about this stuff. So I had the opportunity to write a lengthy paper for my psychology degree. And to write on the topic of adaptive strategies after becoming disabled. From that paper, I was thinking, oh, how perfect would it be to just take this paper that has all this information, you know, in a condensed, shorter book about my experiences that I've gone through becoming disabled and and becoming this walking quadriplegic. So through the process of writing this paper, I uh, started writing a book This and writing this book, I thought, oh my word, there's so many things to address, developed or happened or discovered or <laughs> gone on through the process, this healing journey over a 20 year span. And so instead of making one big, long book, I decided to mix from my life experiences as a walking quadriplegic and my healing journey into short mini series. And I'm starting with the first one titled SMILE. And it's an acronym standing for She Made It Look Easy, My Journey journey as a Walking quadriplegic, And that will be based off of that psychology paper I had to finish for my degree turned into an easy book read that even like middle school kids could read. And that's really exciting to me. I'm really excited to really dive into that. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface right now and getting my feet wet with it. I was really inspired by you and how you wrote your book and just loved the information. And can we just talk about that for a second? Like how you did that book in such a way that makes it easy for learners like me, learners like you. And that's been labeled in various different ways. But now people who are visual and kinesthetic learners, they need books more like that. Like bottom line.
0: There was a couple of things that inspired me to write the way I did. Obviously the, the years of being challenged with ADHD. And it's just, a, you know, with student athletes, which is what I geared a lot of the book towards, they don't have a lot of time to read. So having said that, I wanted to make it to the point and concise. And, and I have a feeling that a lot of more people will be inspired to write that way when you can get directly to what you need to say.
1: Well, I really liked it. It actually inspired me of how I was going to do this because I was really struggling with writing just one big, huge book. It just seemed way too overwhelming. So turning this into a mini book series of just about my experiences as a walking quadriplegic, because I've had so many weird life experiences that most people never have to go through. And now I can look back and tell a story and laugh about it. But you know, at the time, it was horrifying. (laughs) Anyway, that's off topic, but I was very inspired by you to author it, and that's the process that I'm I'm in right now. On my website, I do have a coaching website, which is another business that I've recently started up and really excited about.
0: This, this podcast will never do the justice of uh, who you are as a person and, and, and who I've gotten to know the time that we've connected and called and talked and, and shared stories. How do people contact you for information on your website uh, to eventually buy the book when it comes out? And then if they want to hire you for speaking engagements, uh, where, where do they go to find you and get information about you?
1: I am on LinkedIn. That's where I connect with a lot of disability advocacy for the colleges and universities or other types of motivational or inspirational speaking engagements. That's a great way to connect with me. Just under my name, Sarah You can find me on my website, saralyncoach.com. And through the website, you can book a complimentary consults through my calendar. Also put in a pre-order for the book. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. All of it is under
0: Coach. For your mobility piece, is that also on your website or is that separate?
1: There is a link on my website to it, but that is also on Facebook under platypus mobility, LLC. Um, we're still building the website for that and actually working on getting our patent. I'm telling you, Adam, it's going to be a game changer for the disabled community going to change so many lives and they don't even know it yet. So we did, we're creating changes to become healthy, well, and as independent as possible.
0: And this platypus mobility, the name of it, definitely aligns with who you are as a person and what you're looking to bring out of others and giving them that challenge and at the same time creating an opportunity for them to be interdependent in their lives, which is, if you think about it, many of the lessons you have been taught in your timeline so that you can teach others. You know, Sarah, like I said, this, this podcast will never do you justice because your energy is contagious. You have a smile that lights up the room. I am honored to know you. Uh, I'm honored to work with you. And on top of that, I really hope anybody listening to this podcast is interested to contact and connect with Sarah. Know that she is an advocate and creating advocacy for people with special needs and disabilities, and that she really is there to help you feel empowered and to inspire you to be everything that you are capable of becoming, which is extraordinary. So Sarah, I want to thank you for this evening, for taking this time uh, and give this podcast Anything else you'd like to tell us or share with us?
1: Adam, thank you so much. I think that was a beautiful message. And I'm I'm happy with what we created here. <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens. You and I writing a book together. And how fun and exciting and cool that will be.
0: You and I have uh, discussed that. That is in the works. It'll be a future date. It won't, it won't be soon. We're going to get your book out there. And then, yes, you and I are going to collaborate on a what I feel will be a masterpiece, and I'm very excited about that.
1: Me too. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Adam. This was a, a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Sarah. And you have an extraordinary rest of your day. Dear Sarah, a spinal cord injury is a very catastrophic event. It's not easy to recover from mentally and it robs the physical ability to move as a human body was intended yet you discovered opportunity in your injury and now so many people will become inspired from your courage and guidance on how to handle that which happens to us out of our control your gift is now being recognized by so many you have the inspiring ability to light up a room with your contagious smile and laughter and you bring people to realize there is hope and tragedy and we can triumph over the pain if we choose. You continue to inspire so many women to follow their heart and recognize that they are independent and interdependent, that they don't necessarily need another to realize their success and dreams. You empower women. You are a voice for anyone with disabilities and who is stuck. As you represent their struggles and challenges in a world designed to oust them, and you inspire them to seek and ask for more all the while creating a will and a mission in life. You give them hope and determination that although the road ahead is by no means easy, it will be worth it. And I know you are just beginning on your journey and I look forward to the thousands of people you will impact. Continue to prove to others that they matter. Sarah, you are extraordinary. Stay the course, stay extraordinary. We need you to. Coach Adam. Welcome to the Extraordinary Me Podcast, where ordinary people choose the extraordinary, hosted by Coach Adam.